Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church. If you are at the campus at Middleburg, campus in Lorraine, if you're watching online, just want to say a warm welcome to you this morning. We're walking in these days through the parables. Sometimes we, we have a temptation to see these as well, these nice stories that Jesus told about life on the farm and but that's really not what they are. They're actually really pointed kingdom truth. Many mountain climbers regard Italian climber Walter Bonatti as one of the greatest mountain climbers of all time. In 1954, he was 24 years old, the youngest member of an Italian climbing team that was the first in the world to conquer, to, to, to arrive at the summit of K2, the second tallest mountain in the world. This is how Wikipedia describes it, and Wikipedia never lies. It says <laughs> that K2 is known as a savage mountain due to the difficulty of ascent and the second highest fatality rate among those who climb it. For every four people who have reached the top of K2, one has died trying. So Bonatti was part of the team that first arrived there. But in 2011, at the age of 81, when he died, the New York Times obituary about him focused very little on his really amazing accomplishments and talked way more about a controversy that happened on that climb. This is what happened. He was on a team of three, two other climbers and one porter, one who would help carry uh, the, the heavy load. So the plan was for Bonatti and this, this porter to leave early. They had these heavy oxygen tanks that they needed to leave at the place they would arrive on the first day to have as they finished the climb on the second day. So they went ahead, got to the place and waited to meet the other two. They were carrying the tents and things that they needed for the night. As the sun went down, they realized they weren't coming. And there they were on the side of this mountain, both of them almost lost their lives that night. So in the morning, they did the only thing they could do. They left the tanks, and as fast as they could, they descended the mountain. The porter actually lost some of his fingers and toes to frostbite. Unbeknownst to them, the two other climbers arrived at the oxygen tanks just after they left. They picked up the tanks and finished the climb. Bonatti was sure that they had done it intentionally, and it is something that he carried in his soul to his death. He accused them of doing it intentionally. They denied it. The Italian Alpine Club ruled in the, the, the other men's favor a bitterness that he carried the rest of his life. When he died in 2011 at the age of 81, his partner, Miss Rosella Podesta, said that actually the K2 story was a huge thorn in Walter's soul. Even after all these years, he couldn't believe that nobody had apologized or acknowledged what he thought to be true. The falseness that he perceived all his life. In his own book, The Mountains of My Life, Walter Bernardi wrote these words. My disappointments came from people, not from mountains. Wow, a man who accomplished what probably none of us could ever do physically, lived his whole life with a bitterness in his soul that he couldn't find a way to get away from. The message 
that Jesus came preaching is a message of forgiveness. It's the core of the message, but in truth, when we try to follow the road of Jesus, forgiveness is not one of the easy tasks. It often takes a lifetime to learn it. First, to receive forgiveness, and then to extend it. You see, forgiveness is a stream. If you've received forgiveness and you don't extend it, it's, it's kind of like the Dead Sea. It, it dies. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Forgive us our sins. He doesn't stop in the same way that we forgive others. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is with his friends. Peter came, and, and this is what it says, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who wrongs me, who sins against me? Seven times? No, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And then he told the story. He said, therefore, the kingdom of, of heaven, of God, can, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In a few minutes, we're going to look at the story. What you find in the New Testament is when we forgive, when we forgive, the gospel is most eloquently spoken. Preaching about forgiveness, the good thing is that most people believe in forgiveness. You don't have to convince most people that it, you know, it's a good thing. The problem is simply when you have to do it. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they actually have something to forgive. So this morning... Hope to do two things in looking at the story. The first is, is I hope to make you feel the weight of unforgiveness. It's actually crushing. And secondly, to talk for a few minutes from the scriptures about the road to forgiveness. G.K. Chesterton says, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors. It also tells us to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. <laughs> Let's go to the story. The story is about the weight of unforgiveness. Why should we actually forgive? Why is that important? In the weight of glory, C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. So here's the story. Jesus is with his friends. Peter was one of the ones, not only who was a friend of Jesus, but often in the, the group of three that was closest to Jesus. He was often the disciple in the stories that is on the front line. You never had to sit around and wonder what Peter was thinking. Just give it a second, it'll come out of his mouth. And often he said things that everybody else was thinking but just didn't have the courage to say, and that's what happened on that day. So Peter has been listening to Jesus now for for months. Jesus said things like, hey, if somebody hits you on the left side, turn, turn the right side. He said, if, if you go to church and, and you're sitting there and you realize you, you have something against somebody, don't, don't keep worshiping. Go make it right and then come back and worship. Peter was there. He, 
he heard. Bless those who curse you. So Peter now thinks, okay, I got it. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks this question, digesting Jesus' teaching, and he says, okay, I get it. But what happens if there's somebody who, they not only do you wrong, but they do it again and again and again? That's a great question. That never happens to anybody in our generation, but apparently in that generation that could happen. So Peter doesn't wait for a response. Wanting to show Jesus how, how clearly he understood the kingdom, he answers. What about seven? Peter, I, I don't doubt that he was waiting for Jesus to say, seriously, you are amazing. How do you come up with this stuff? But he doesn't. Jesus says, who told you seven times? I tell you 70 times seven. Peter thought he was being generous. Actually, in the teaching of the religious leaders of the day, if somebody sinned against you, if somebody did you wrong, let it go. Even a second time if it happened. But the third time, be waiting for him at the corner. So Peter takes three, and he doubles it, and he adds one. And Jesus says, no, I, I didn't say that. Actually, he's not saying, hey, if you're really going to forgive, get a calculator and 70 to... It's not what he's saying. He's saying over and over and over. Like, forgiveness in the kingdom is like breathing. Peter for the first time, has a good sense to stop talking. But I have an idea he was thinking, seriously? Like, that's impossible. And it is. So Jesus said, well, actually, the kingdom, let me tell you a story. This is what it's like. There was this king who called in a group of people who owed him money. And there was a man in the group, one of his servants, who had a debt that was huge. Actually, the word in Greek, murion, it means that you can't calculate it. It's like if you were going to count the stars. That's the word you would use because you can't count them. There's, there's millions. There's trillions. And, and that was the debt, it says in the story, that this man owed. How did he get this debt? Well, the story doesn't tell us. He might have left a credit card with one of his kids over the weekend. We don't know what happened. What we do know is the man could not pay the debt. So the king, looking at the situation, he asks for his wife, for his children, for he himself to be sold and to spend the rest of their lives as servants, as slaves, to repay the debt. But the question is, would, would that actually repay the debt? And the answer is no. But the king was going to get what he could. The servant... It's hopeless. The rest of his life is awful. And in that moment, he does the only thing that he could do. It says in the story that he fell down in front of the king. No other resources. He falls on his knees and he cries out, have mercy, I promise I'll pay you. He's lying. He can't. But the king, it says in the story, has pity. 
He doesn't look at him and say, oh, okay, let's look at this. We'll come up with a payment plan. And it says that he, he took an eraser and he literally erases the man's debt. Unbelievable. I am sure that this man who walked in with his head down danced out of the palace. Jesus says he left the palace and he's walking home. He's thinking about, wow, my debt's gone. And he sees his cousin. And his cousin owes him five bucks. He says to his cousin, hey, do you remember like a few weeks ago, like you owe me five dollars. And his cousin says to him, Actually, it's the same speech that he just said in the palace. He says, have mercy on me, and I promise I'll pay you. And he's actually telling the truth. He could. But it says in the story that in his anger, the forgiven servant takes his cousin by the throat and has him thrown into prison. The intent of this story is to make you mad. It's actually infuriating. Are you kidding me? Who would do that? Well, actually, there's a lot of people. If you remember a few years ago in 2008, for those of you who were present, we walked through some difficult economic days in our country. It's a bunch of white-collar scam artists, some who worked at banks and financial institutions who kind of brought the whole thing down. Well, finally, the government stepped in and sent some warnings to the people who had done this, and then, in their kindness, gave them some resources to help build this thing back up. You know what some of those people did because of the kindness they received? They sat down and took lists of all the people who had been wrong, and they started sending out checks. No, they didn't. They actually made more money. But this story is not really about them. It's about me. It's about you. And how difficult forgiveness is for all of us. So in the story, God is the king. And it says that all of us will stand before him. And if you could perceive the debt that you have, it would literally crush you. It's bigger than this, the number of stars. And, and, and the only thing that we can do, some, we just think, well, we'll repay the debt. We'll, we'll, we'll fix this. And you can't. So to those who have the courage to admit it and bow down in front of the king and ask forgiveness, it says that he wipes away the debt. He's forgiven a debt of unbelievable weight. But because it is free to us, we often forget how much it costs. And we walk into the throne room and we plead for his mercy and we walk out of the throne room and take our cousin by the throat. Two simple points. The first point in the story is that in the kingdom of Jesus, forgiveness for a follower of Jesus is not optional. Trust me. I read through the New Testament trying to find a case where you could get out of this. Like maybe in this case, you, there isn't one. 
Forgiveness is the only option for a follower of Jesus. Second thing you see in the story is that we will forgive to the extent we understand how much we have been forgiven. It says in the story that when the king heard about what his servant had done, he took his servant and threw him in prison. That's really important in the story, the image of prison, because the image of prison is a place that you're locked and you can't get out. And he's saying that unforgiveness in all of us is a prison that we live in, and the only person who has the key to get us out is us. Key's provided, but the only way to use it is to forgive. All of that, it's important in the story, but... It says that he, he throws a servant in prison and then the story just stops. It doesn't really end. We don't know what happened then for, to the servant. Did he like come to his senses and, and for, we don't know. It's purposeful. It's how it is for all of us. The end of the story is the choice that we make. So all of that is not that complicated to understand. When it becomes complicated is when we have to do it. So I want to talk for these moments that remain about the freedom of forgiveness. How do you actually do this? You see, the most free people on the planet are the ones who have no bitterness in their heart. Before we talk about how you forgive, the road to forgiveness. Let me just remind us what forgiveness is not. When we talk about forgiving somebody, what we're not saying is that forgiveness is approving the wrong that was done, condoning what happened. It's not. It's actually admitting the wrong and and choosing a different road. It's not excusing the wrong that was done. Sometimes as Christians, oh no, we're Christians, so you know. It doesn't make what's wrong right. It just provides a different way of walking. It's not denying the hurt that's felt. When when we're wrong, it hurts. It's not letting other people walk all over you. And forgiving somebody doesn't mean you need to go on vacation with them next week. The Bible talks about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-man sport. Reconciliation involves a couple of people. You can't always be reconciled, but you can always forget. But hear me. If where you're walking this morning is, is a place of abuse, forgiveness is possible, but you need to get out of the place where it's happening. It's not saying let somebody walk on you, but it is saying that Jesus is inviting you to find healing. That's what it's not. What is it? Well, it's a hard word to describe. Let me take a shot at it. Forgiveness is releasing others from their sins, from their wrongs against us. It's choosing to not allow that wrong that was done to remain in your playlist. You know, the one you play at night when you're going to sleep, the one you're driving in your car. Forgiving is taking that out of your playlist, taking your hands off the person's neck. So you might be asking, okay, Pastor Joel, 
When you talk about forgiveness, is it like this event that happens, like this thing you do, or is it, is it a process? And, and the answer is yes. It, it's all of the above. Forgiveness is not a formula. It's a road that you choose to walk on. Always begins as an event. At some point, if you're gonna forgive, you need to make a decision, I will forgive. This is what the road looks like in the scriptures. The road of forgiveness, the first step on the road is to choose to forgive. And keep choosing. And keep choosing. On October 2nd, 2006, a gunman walked into an Amish community school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. You may remember the story. And brutally shot and killed five innocent children. Something that unfortunately happens all too often. That night, I'll never forget, on the, on the news, one of the elders in the community stood up and talked about what happened, and then he looked at the camera and he said, we'd like to extend forgiveness to the young man who perpetrated it. Wow. There's a sociologist by the name of, just a minute, I gotta find his name here. His name is Steve Nolt. And he was so taken by this that he traveled out there and began to research, like, what gave the people the power to do this? He finished by writing a book, Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcended Tragedy. This is how he concludes it. The Amish understanding of forgiveness is that it is difficult. It is painful. That replacing bitter feelings towards someone is something that takes a lot of time. But they began by expressing their intention to forgive with the faith that the emotional forgiveness will follow over the months and years that follow. It's a choice. And, and when you make the choice, it's also a way of inviting God into the story, into the process. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God for you is always to forgive. So when you pray, you're inviting him to help you to do that. You're saying, okay, pastor, I get that. And there's this person, this is what happened. And, and I made the choice to forgive him. And then I saw him at Aldi the next day and I still wanted to beat the snot out of him. Yeah, because it takes time. So you choose again. Let me give you the image of a train. Say you're on a train leaving Cleveland, you're going to New York, you get to a certain place, and there's tracks that go left and there's tracks that go right. The tracks that go right are going to New York, going left is to Boston. At that point, the engine, the locomotive, has to choose where it's going. That's what forgiveness is like. It's always first a choice of our will. We will follow. But sometimes the hurt is really deep. And the emotions are like in this caboose way back. But if you keep choosing, and you keep choosing, forgiveness will come. Secondly, to forgive, you need to grieve the wrong. To grieve is, is to allow yourself to feel the pain. That's why forgiveness is hard. Now, I'm not saying that every time you forgive, you need to take three weeks and go through the... Sometimes it, it's not that heavy, but other times it is. To glibly say, oh, I forgive you. It doesn't honor the, the hurt. 
The wrong that was done, it hurts. What do you do with that? Where do you put it? Well, you grieve it. Part of grieving is taking what's on the inside and bringing it out into the light. The, the actual wrong that caused the hurt, maybe it's been causing pain for years and years. When you grieve it, you, you acknowledge the hurt. You express the pain, express the anger, you feel it. It's actually impossible to let go of something you have not allowed yourself to feel. Grieving is not like this formula. It's just admitting to yourself and to God the hurt and inviting God into the story. Sometimes I do it out loud, not like in a group. I go off by myself and just say it out loud. I write it down. If you can't find words, let the Psalms help you. If you get stuck at this place in the process, don't jump over it. At times you need to find someone else to walk alongside you, to pray with you through it. If that's where you are, there's counselors here on, on the team at Grace, both campuses that would love to, to walk that through with you. If you've never done making peace, those are just places that, that this part of the process can be facilitated. The last thing you do is you allow God to reshape your heart, you, you begin to change. You let Jesus change the way you think about the person who wronged you. Jesus, hanging on the cross, brutally killed, denied by his friends, betrayed, hanging on the cross, and in front of him are, are people who are mocking him. And the, almost the last words that Jesus spoke, he looked and he says, Father, Forgive, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Remember a number of years ago, one of the deepest valleys that Ellen and I walked through, there was a couple weeks that the pain we were walking in literally felt physical. And in that place, something happened that profoundly hurt both of us. Remember one day I got up in the morning. I thought about it before I went to sleep. First thing I thought about, go through it in my mind when I got up, I was in the shower and I was praying out loud and I remember saying to God, I mentioned the people involved, I mentioned their name and I said out loud, God, if you need their address, I can get it to you but here's what I'd like you to do to them. And... Oh, don't say you've never done that before. <laughs> I mean, I was just praying the Psalms. Lord, do you see their children? Could, yeah. And I was just saying this stuff out loud to God out of the pain in my soul. I didn't hear an audible voice, but in my knower, in my spirit, I heard Jesus say to me, Joel, I know it was him because these are his words. He said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Because I was praying, I just kept talking to God, and I said out loud, Jesus, those words have always touched me, but seriously, the people that you forgave, did they even know that they were forgiven, and did it make any difference? What I heard him say to me was, my story with them, that's not your concern. But I didn't, 
say those words just for them. I actually said them as well for you so that you would know that that's who I am. Jesus is being crucified. One of the most brutal ways that you can be killed totally abandoned by his friends, his people. And the words that he speaks are words of forgiveness. He, he had every possibility. He's God. He could have spoken a word and boom, they're gone. But he chose to forgive because he believes that that is the most powerful thing. And he can help us to do the same. He invites us have a right view of ourselves and the people who have hurt us. They actually need forgiveness as bad as you do. And if we're truthful with ourselves, we've made promises to others that we didn't keep. We've started projects that we didn't finish. We've let people down. We could be as bad as fill in the blank. So how do you change the narrative in your soul? How do you let the forgiveness of Jesus pour in? One of the ways you can do that is, as you choose to forgive, choose to stop talking about it to others. Jesus says, pray for those people that they would be blessed. Wow. But as you do, he begins to reshape your soul. Peter was the one who answered the question, or who asked the question. Great question. So God, what do I do if Jesus tells this story? Peter was standing there. The story was addressed to Jesus' friends, mainly to Peter. He heard the words of Jesus. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is the forgiveness you've received. This is the forgiveness that God asks of us. Bless those who curse. He was there. He heard it all. The night before Jesus died, he announced that there would be one that would betray him, and Peter raises his voice and says, be assured, it ain't me. And Jesus said, well, actually, before tomorrow morning when you hear the cock crow, you're gonna deny me three times. I know you're not talking to me, because that will never happen. And then it happened. Right before that happened, was in the garden with Jesus. Jesus asked us to pray, and they fell asleep. And he asked them again to pray, and they fell asleep again. And when they woke up, there were swords coming to capture and, and arrest Jesus. Now Peter jumps into action. Now remember, he's heard all these stories about the kingdom. He believes as strongly as you and I do that forgiveness is the right solution. But when it gets really hard, the sword works a lot faster. So he pulls out this guy's sword and he chops off his ear. It doesn't tell us in the story if Jesus said something or if he might have just looked at Peter and said, really? Like, where did you get that? Like, I'm reading the playbook. I don't see that. And then he reaches down and he takes the ear and he puts it back in his place. Ten years later, when that man was talking to his grandchildren, what do you think he told them about? 
there was this guy, man, he was so tough, he took a sword. Now, there was a man who I came to do evil against, who healed my ear. That's the power of forgiveness. The sword works faster, but forgiveness changes people. Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of South Africa, says it this way. Without forgiveness, there is no future. That is true for nations. It is true for churches. It is true for marriages. It is true for relationships. It's, re it's true for individuals. Without forgiveness, there's no future. There's no freedom. There's no recovery. There's no healing. Forgiveness heals the soul. But you got to be willing to walk in it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you, first, for the gift of forgiveness. Forgive us for not realizing, not seeing the weight of what we have been forgiven. Forgive us. And Lord, this morning, I have no doubt that there are those here in the room, those online that bitterness has become like the tune of their souls. And you came to set us free. Would you give us the courage to trust you and to invite you to reshape our hearts, our souls, to pour in the forgiveness that we need and enable us to forgive. Not for our glory, not for the glory of this church, but for the, the glory of the one who forgave us and loved us first. In Jesus' name.